Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Good Lion Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian Higgins, and I'm here with my good buddy, legendary beard grower, wonderful graphic designer, and all-around cuddly person, Aaron Silvato. Are you okay with being described as cuddly in our intro? Um, yeah. Is that accurate? Yeah. No, I am a very cuddly. I was just kind of going for it. <laughs> I'm definitely a very cuddly person. I'm a hugger. That's good for sure. Yeah. You know? Because <laughs> the number one thing you want in a podcast is someone where you think, but if we were together, he'd probably hug me. Yeah. I'm glad you didn't say he'd probably cuddle me because that would, <laughs> that would not be That'd good. That'd be a little far. I have, yeah. to, I have to share something with uh, the audience really quick because uh, it just it just shows how how deep our friendship has progressed. So the other day I got a new microphone and uh, I was testing it out. And uh, you know, I mean, I don't know what you guys do when you're testing out a microphone, but I do a bunch of cartoon voices and sing songs from The Lion King. Um, Test. You uh, test the full dynamic range of the, the full dynamic range, and you know, no, you're not trying to impress anybody, so you don't care if you're on key or not. And uh, yeah, I was doing that the other day for about a good 20 minutes, and I didn't realize that somehow I was broadcasting all of that audio to you on an app that we use to talk to one another. Mm-hmm. And um, you're you're still my friend, so. Yeah, we are still friends. I listened to like two minutes of it no, because I kept liar. waiting. You know, you no, I really did. More. I didn't. Okay. I kept waiting okay. for like you to start addressing me. <laughs> and I was like, wait a second. I don't think that's going to happen. No. It's... So then I just texted you and I was like, look, if this is on purpose, I'll listen to more of it. But if it's not, I'm going to keep going on with my day. I was deeply embarrassed, but very happy that, uh, that you were still my pal. So we're still doing this podcast. Yes. So um, why don't we jump into the episode? What are we talking about today? Yeah, today we're talking about something that I really personally care about, something that I'm really excited to talk about, and that I have always kind of looked for different mediums to discuss this. I love teaching on it uh, in like sermons and youth groups. And I'm really excited that we get to kind of like analyze it in a deeper, more thorough level uh, today on this podcast. We're talking about confession. Right. We're going to kind of dive into that word. We're going to dive into the biblical use of it. We're going to dive into things that confession shouldn't mean, things that it should mean for us. Uh, and hopefully come to some practical conclusions about ways that confession can be an important part of your continuing spiritual growth. Yeah, the power of confession in community. I, I love that. And so why don't you get us going? So I think it's good to begin with how do we normally address this topic? What ideas does that word normally bring up? And we kind of need to unpack those images first before we can realize kind of where we're off on it. Well, right away for me, like, I mean, as a Christian, I know about confession. I know that it's something that we're supposed to do. But I also know that my mind immediately when I hear the word just goes to the Catholic Church and this idea of going into the little box to talk to the priest. And, you know, I'm not Catholic, so 
my mind also goes to kind of tradition and yeah, just kind of weird places like that. Yeah, I'm glad you bring up the Catholic image because I kind of want to dive into it a little bit. Uh, I grew up, I didn't grow up Catholic, but I grew up in New Jersey, which is extremely Catholic. It's something like 40% of all of New Jersey identifies as Catholic. Oh, wow. So it's a ton of people like you grow up in elementary school hearing your friends talk about going to Catholic church, talking about CCD and the classes that they needed to take. CCD, what's uh, what's that? Uh, I don't remember exactly what it stands for, but it, it's kind of like Catholic Sunday school that mm. you do during the week. Okay. If I remember okay. right, and this is me just trying to remember, um, CCD is a series of classes you take mm. uh, before either your first communion or before your confirmation. One of those two things. I can so it's like. It right now while you're as talking. well you should i my understanding is that it's community like, college of denver i don't i don't know if that's it that might not be it let me try ccd catholicism yeah let's see how that goes Conf, con confraternity of christian doctrine that's yeah, a word so my, i use every day confraternity is my favorite <laughs> word i use it all the time <laughs> Um, yeah, my understanding of it was just that it was like Catholicism 101. Okay. And they wanted to make sure that you understood the basics of Catholicism before right. you were confirmed. So you're going and you're, you're Catholic. learning about confession. <clears throat> yeah. You're learning about everything in mm. Catholicism. So Got it. Th this was just kind of like the background okay. to growing up in New Jersey. Friends of yours were talking about going to the Catholic church, going right. to these particular classes, going to confession and things like that and kind of like the natural image that comes up with that is the idea of god seemed mad at you yeah until you did stuff to make him happy again right okay so um one thing that i remember when i was young there was kind of i mean when you you know when you're young you're in your formative years so when you hear good doctrine it's awesome because it sticks with you but then some random person in your church can tell you something and it could be totally wacky but because you're young it it sticks with you and you believe it um there was a guy in my church who was like yeah if you sin and you don't confess it, like if you sin and you don't ask for forgiveness and you get hit by a truck, you're going to hell. And it just for, you know, a good couple of weeks, I believed that I was freaked out. I was, every time I sinned, I, I immediately was like, oh, I need to go to the Lord and or else I'm going to die. And it wasn't, you know, going to the Lord because I was actually really sorry. It was more based out of fear. Yeah. And, and it comes to the idea of. God is looking to exclude you unless you do something that would then warrant him including you again. Like every time you sin, you're now on the outside. Well, that because God really wants you there. Mm -hmm. But when you confess, you like unlock the magic God puzzle. And he's like, ah, oh, you beat me again. Like, I guess I got to let you back in. Well, I mean, it makes sense to think about it that way. Like, if I'm honest, I understand why people think of it that way, because that really, to me, seems like what the entire Old Testament sacrificial system was about. You know, you you would sin. And then it was like, oh, like now you're in hot water with God. You're in trouble. Like, you know, unless you get down to the temple with your goat and slit its throat, <laughs> you know, uh, we don't, you know, your, your eternal security is kind of in question now. At least that's how I've always read the Old Testament sacrificial system. It was 
this idea that sin is this very heavy thing. There, ne- there's, there needs to be blood. There needs to be some sort of sacrifice to cover this. And so, yeah, I mean, I understand kind of this link between the Old Testament and then some of the current ideas of confession. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And as we go deeper into this podcast, we'll talk a little bit more about how a lot of that doesn't change, but finds different fulfillment in the New Testament. That seems to be the whole storyline of the Bible. The Old Testament gives us the images. It gives us one way of looking at things. And then the New Testament fulfills and completely moves them forward. Mm. Um, so that's that's one of the ways we think about confession. We think about um, Catholicism. We think about God is mad at you. Confession is the way that you make him unmad at you. It's right. like the <laughs> clean version of killing a goat because you just have to talk to him. Uh, it, it feels like maybe God calmed down a little bit <laughs> is kind of how we think about you it. You used to have to kill goats, but now you can just tell me what you did. It's... Yeah, now we'll just have a chat and we'll move on. Oh. Um, we also think about just going a little less churchy and a little more uh, pop culture. Right. Um, Netflix murder documentaries hmm. are like the most fun thing for me <laughs> and for a lot of other people. I really enjoy them. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, And one of the things that's interesting is a lot of them are now centering on the idea of confessions. Mm. Oh, yeah. We we watch one called uh, Confession Tapes. Yeah. And Mm. and that one is all about the idea of what if sometimes confessions aren't good? Right. What if you're willing to just admit to some stuff that you didn't do because there was pressure on you or because you weren't really being told the whole truth or they were trying to plant these ideas in your head. Right. And so Jesus this, is uh Jesus is the good cop. God, the father's the bad cop. Right. Yeah. So he's like really laying in on you and it's like, look, if you just tell us it'll be okay. Like there's, there's all that I, stuff going I on. I died for this. It's okay. And then the father comes in and just starts kicking over tables and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tell me now. Yeah. Just like loses it on you. Um, this is not what we believe theologically. We are joking nope. right now. Just completely yeah. and 100% joking. That's but for another it, episode. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get into those ideas later. Yeah. Um, but it does kind of show us that the idea of confession is now being marred in mm. public imaging. So, like, first thinking about like these Netflix docs, now there's the concept coming out there. Just because you confess something doesn't mean that confession was good for you. Right. Okay. You know, it, there there was this idea, it felt like, that the idea of confessing to a crime was, I need to alleviate my conscience, I need to get this weight off of my shoulders, and it is, even though if I, even if I've done a bad thing, it is good for my soul yeah. that I've confessed about it, whether you're spiritual or not. That was a very common conception, right? That if you can bring forward the wrong you've done, there will be some kind of relief that's granted to you. Yeah. And I think we've even seen that in the culture these days in the way that there's kind of this general idea that it's a good thing for us to live our truth. Um it's a good idea for us to confess the secrets about us that we hide. Um, I mean, my mind immediately goes to um, just how in homosexuality in culture, it's become much more prevalent to come out and confess that 
and let people know like, yeah, this is who I am. And, you know, um, that's something that we've seen, you know, where in the past it was a secret that was kept. Um, now culture really, whether it's homosexuality or anything, culture really says to people, yeah, live your truth. You know, don't hide away who you really are. Which is a really interesting one that you bring up because that kind of that doesn't even feel like confession. It feels like proclamation. Mm. I am proclaiming this is who I am. Where like comparing that to the Catholic image of before or comparing that to like the police conversation from before, Mm. those ideas of confession are about I am presenting something that I know is wrong about me. Right. Now the idea of living your truth in whatever form that takes, not just about sexual orientation, but it can be about all sorts of different things. Hmm. The idea of living your truth isn't to say, here is my brokenness. I admit it and I want to move past it. Hmm. It's rather, here's who I am and I'm proud of this part of me. Right. And this will always be part of me and you all need to accept it. You're the ones doing the wrong thing. Yeah, no, so um, it's interesting. So um, my wife and I were just talking about this in the car the other day. Um, So we're both Enneagram 2s and we have a friend who's an Enneagram 8. And um, I'm not sure the exact specifics of the eight, but I know it's kind of a little bit more of an intense personality. And a lot of times um, we've seen people who are eights and, and ones and some other things share memes where it's like basically like, yeah, here's how an eight is and this is how I am and just deal with it. And we were like, you can't really do that as a two because a two's just like, you know, yeah, I planned a birthday party for somebody I barely know. Deal with it. Like, it sounds like you're bragging. <laughs> so Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and I mean, that speaks to the whole idea of like someone will not respond to an email on time. Right. And it'll be like, hey, you never got back to me. It's like, sorry, seven's gonna seven. Right. And it's like, <laughs> no, that's you're, you're taking something that sure, it's true about you. You can be described by this particular number, but the confession is no longer about here is something that's broken within me and yeah. I want it to be known so that it can be fixed. Right. Right. But rather it's, hey, this is who I'm going to be, and if you can't accept it, then you must not be a modern, progressive, intellectual person. Like, you must be the one who's still in the dark ages. Yeah, it's a non-apology. It's, you know, sorry, not sorry. So, yeah, you have the idea of people living their truth, but now even when you kind of pull away from pop culture, when you pull away from some of the more common images surrounding confession and you just dive into non-Catholic church experience Mm. and you have church confession, the normal feelings around that are not happy feelings. Yeah. You know, it's something that can be super uncomfortable. No one enjoys the idea of today I'm going to tell people that I've messed up. Like no one wants to do that. Yeah, no, it's it's hard. And obviously, there's a lot of pain from it with people. 
And it can be a tricky thing. Like I, I remember being a youth pastor and having a kid confess something to me and it wasn't, you know, just your normal, like, oh, I feel jealous or, oh, I'm dealing with some lust, but it, it was something kind of gnarly. And then I had to say to the kid, hey, I'm really sorry, but I can't just like hold on to this information. I actually have to, like, we have to tell your parents. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure you've been there before as a youth pastor. And I mean, that just really hurt the relationship with me and the kid, even though I was doing it because I love them. And I was like, I can't let them just hold on to this and try to handle this on their own. They need they need backup. They need parental guidance in this. Yeah. And there's moments like that that uh, erode people's trust yeah. in their ability to confess, even though you are doing what's helpful for them. That That to me is something of a separate issue. Even when it's not something that's super gnarly, if it's not something that is, you know, really like, hey, you need someone to come alongside and help you. And and I'm going to make that happen for you, whether you kind of want that or not, particularly in a youth setting, Hmm. even just with quote unquote normal stuff that that people do wrong, the, the common sins that that shouldn't be thrown everywhere, that shouldn't be made known publicly. Sometimes people, they they think about the things that they've confessed in their church and how they then became labeled by that sin. Yeah, you go in and, you know, this has happened to several people, like you or many, many people, you go in and you think, oh, this is going to be a confession that's just for, you know, my small group friend or leader or whatever. And then the the next thing you know, a bunch of people know about it and they're gossiping about you and they've labeled you. And it's sad, but that's something that absolutely does happen. And to me, what's really so sad about this is it takes away people's ability to access something that the Bible portrays as so powerful. Like the Bible has such a high view of confession. It speaks so highly of the power that it has Hmm. that it makes sense that Satan would want us messing up something that's so beautiful and something that's so wonderful and so helpful for a person's spiritual growth. Well, I mean, I think for people listening, we've been throwing around this word confession a lot, but what does it actually mean? That's something we try to do on this show is get into the meaning of things. So what do you think? What is so I, confession even mean? Yeah. So I, I want to jump into uh, Psalm 32. Okay. It's one of my favorite passages surrounding the idea of confession. Awesome. Um, I'll, I'll read the first five verses to kind of like give us uh, some background. So Psalm 32 says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. So this is kind of like the announcement of the psalm. If you want to be truly blessed, if you want to be in a real state of bliss and thriving and contentment, it comes down to the fact that your transgression is forgiven, that your sin is covered, hmm. and that there's peace between you and the Lord. That's hmm. kind of our, our introduction announcement to the psalm. So okay. then the question becomes, how do I get there? Right. That's where verse 3 comes in. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Hmm. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Hmm. Then, verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. Hmm. 
I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave my sin. You forgave the guilt of my sin. Mm, mm, Wow. So the psalm is diving into this bigger idea of what does it take to truly be blessed? And it begins with, are you forgiven? And I love these two parallel images that David gives. On the one hand, when you're silent, when you keep your sin in, it destroys you. It wears away at you. Yeah. It creates this terrible experience between you and the Lord. Mm-hmm. Whereas to the opposite end of that, the the path forward, n- notice the path forward for him wasn't, but then I stopped sinning. Right. And then I became amazing. And now <laughs> I'm a superhero. Like right. that's not where he goes at all. Rather, it's simply he says, I confessed my iniquity to God. I told him what I did wrong. Right. And it changed everything. Well, the the thing that sticks out to me is that picture of the guy lying there with the aching bones. Because my perspective, we talked about this before, but my perspective on sin has changed from this idea of, oh, it's just a list of bad things we're supposed to avoid and not do. And instead, viewing it more as this corrupting disease that actually infiltrates, like when you sin, you're inviting kind of this dark force inside yourself and your person. And so Mm -hmm. that picture of like a diseased man lying there with his bones just like aching from how much wickedness is in him. Um, that's a, that's a picture that really resonates with me because it shows the need for confession. Like when I am sick and it's to the point where I just, the symptoms are everywhere and I can tell and I can see it and recognize it in myself. I know that the right thing for me to do is to go to a doctor and confess what's wrong with me to the doctor and say, this is my symptom. This is where I need help. Um, that's a that's a picture of confession I haven't thought of before. Now, here's the part where I think we can even add some some depth and, and some beauty to the concept of confession. The Hebrew word that gets used in verse five for I will confess my transgression, just what we're talking about. That Hebrew word is a word yada, 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 yada. I knew you were going to go there. I knew I didn't even have to bring it up. I wanted that joke in this podcast. Wow, and I, you set me up. I let you have it because I love you, buddy. Thanks, man. Yeah. That that Hebrew word gets used multiple times just the way that it's being used here. to hmm. The idea of to confess something, to express something that is not correct. Well, the idea of like the word yada in popular culture is you're just blabbing. You're just talking. You're just saying, you know, yada, 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 just, you know, throwing out words. Is that kind of what we're looking at here? Or? It's the exact opposite of what okay. we're looking at here. Okay. Yeah. So the, the idea of yada, yada, yada is like, oh, meaningless noise. Right. Which is crazy because this Hebrew word yada is actually about making really meaningful expressions Mm. in both directions. So Mm. it can be used here in the negative sense. I am going to confess. I'm going to declare a thing that is not right. Mm. But it can also be used for the idea of expressing praise and giving thanks. Mm. There are times where this word gets used for... Uh, where we get our English word in verses where it'll say, I will praise you. Wow. It's this yeah. same word. Uh, I will proclaim your goodness. It's this same word. Hmm. And now here, I will confess my transgression, all the same word. Hmm. 
all being used in these very different ways, but they all kind of come back to this same idea because whether we're praising God or whether we're confessing our sin, we're declaring in a very real way a micro moment of mm. the grand gospel. Oh, yeah. So confessions linked to the gospel. Absolutely. Okay. And, and even seeing it here, it's, it's linked to when we confess something, it's not just about I'm going to say what I did wrong because doing that is going to change everything about me, but rather that by saying what we admit to be wrong, we're also saying, Lord, we admit that you can fix this. Oh, wow. We admit that you're the one who takes sin and who changes everything. You know, Mm. you're the one who takes our brokenness and sets us right again. So yeah, confession is 100% linked to the gospel. The idea that kind of pops into my mind is the idea of God being someone who doesn't force things on his children. Like he doesn't look at us in our sin and say, oh, well, I'm just going to go in and amputate that and cut that out. It's almost like he set it up in a way where he has created this paradigm where he needs our our permission. That almost sounds weird because God doesn't need permission to do anything. But he he's a, he's a respecter of persons. Like he really does look at someone and if they want their sin and they don't want to confess their need for God, he's going to allow them to have what they want and eventually what they want destroys them. But when we say to God, when we confess, it's like we're basically we're we're saying, I need this. I need you. I need the gospel and I need healing. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's exactly how confession links in the gospel. Now, sometimes I think we look at confession as just the door to get into Christianity Mm. and not as a continuing process. And that's why I think it's so important to link our concept of confession to the gospel overall, because Mm. we need to take both of these ideas and say, this isn't just the door into Christianity. This is the destination. Mm. This is what the whole trip is about. This is everything. It's all about being content to admit that we're broken, to admit that we're wrong, but God is really good at taking wrong things and setting them right again. So what what would you say to somebody, because I, I know there's people out there like this, because I've been this way at times. Like, what would you say to somebody who doesn't really want to give much time or thought to confession? Because, and I think this is really true, we live in a culture where we want to focus on our highlight reel. You know, we want to focus on the good, the positive things about us. Um, we live in a culture where we really don't want to spend much time focusing on our own darkness. And, you know, no one wants to sit around. Like, I don't want to sit around and think about all the bad things that are a part of me. Um, I want to think about the things people have complimented me for. I don't want to take time to sit around and actually dwell on what's wrong with me. Um, So what would you say to people who are in that place where they're like, yeah, I just want to think happy thoughts. I don't want to really 
face my sin and Jesus already died on the cross for me and rose from the dead. So what is the point? Like, why do I need to confess when I already have forgiveness? It's a really great question. I want to bring you to the image of a conversation between two people Hmm. where each person, I guess I'll, I'll phrase it like a question. Have you ever been in a conversation where no matter what you bring up, the other person brings up a similar story that happened in their life. <laughs> yeah. Like this one time a friend brought up a similar story. No, I'm just kidding. I was trying to do the thing that you... <laughs> Sorry, I'm yeah, so dumb. And, and I mean, I've seen different memes online of, hey, I've heard your story. Now let me tell you about how the same thing happened to me. But it's more interesting because yeah. I'm in it. Well, and the worst is when you're telling the story and the person clearly isn't listening to you and they're just sitting there waiting to share their version of the same story. Exactly. So without confession of brokenness, that's what your relationship with God can turn into. Hmm. If I'm just going to try to show God my highlight reel, he's sitting there with this way better story. He's sitting there with, like, we're saying, hey, remember that one time when I served that one person? And he's sitting there waiting for, like, sure, can I tell you about that one time I served the whole world by dying for them? <laughs> like, can I tell you the about, like, Jesus juke? Exactly. Like, can I tell you about how I am truly the one that offers new life? Like, if we're going to take our conversation with God and boil it down to, well, Lord, you need to see the ways that I'm great. Right. If we remove the element of seeing our brokenness, then we won't allow our conversation with God to be about seeing his goodness. Mm, yeah, that's really good. I And another thing that pops in my head too, I've never thought about this before, but well, it's the reality that God knows everything. Like mm-hmm. he already knows about all the sins. And I think it's one, it's kind of a different dynamic when you've sinned against somebody in your family or friend group and they don't know about what you've done. And it would be very easy for you just to continue hiding it. But then you end up like that guy with the aching bones because you, you're holding on to this sin and it's corrupting you. But as far as God goes, it's like, I think we need to remember that God is a person and he has feelings towards us and he knows about all our sins we can't hide anything from him so to not acknowledge those sins to him and ask for forgiveness and actually talk through those things with him it'd be like you if you and i were hanging out brian and you know i'm eating your lunch and hitting you in the face and just transgressing against you left and right but then i just like a normal hangout between us oh yeah well i'm just i'm drawing from real life experience (laughs) um But yeah, you know, like if if we're hanging out and I'm doing all these things to hurt you and then I never bring them up, never acknowledge them, never apologize for them. And I just think, oh, yeah, Brian and I, we're cool. We're tight. I don't need to ever apologize for anything. That's going to hurt you or, you know, if it's a wife in this situation, it's going to hurt a wife or a friend or whatever. That's a hurtful thing. Yeah, it'll always hurt the relationship. But that's even why I want to bring up a verse in 1 John chapter 1, which comes up pretty often. Hmm. Uh, it, It says, if we confess our sin... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin Hmm. and purify us from all unrighteousness. Yeah, that's amazing. I I bring that verse up because just like you're saying, a lot of times we think, oh, sure, I I should confess sin to other people because they don't know what I did. Hmm. And it's important to clear the air. But notice the verse isn't if we confess our sin, 
then God will find out. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's not knows. like he chooses to not know about our sin beforehand. Turns a blind eye. Yeah, he knows it. He sees it. And so the verse is able to just jump to what is his response going to be? Mm. And his response will be forgiveness, which we experience the moment we get saved. We confess that we are sinners. And he says, great, I forgive you. I welcome you in. I give you new life. But then I think even continuing forward, it goes into the idea of, and he will purify us Hmm. from all unrighteousness. To me, that speaks of a lifelong experience. Right, right. Yeah. And it's this idea of, you know, we talked about righteousness in the righteousness series. A lack of righteousness is a lack of right relationship. It's sin that causes these rifts in a relationship and what's on God's mind is I want to restore the rightness to the relationship. And I also, I love that it's like, it's not transactional. Like it's not a formula where it's like, this is the way that we do these transactions. If you sin, just add one confession and the result will be one forgiveness. That's not what God is describing here in First mm-hmm. John 1. It's, it's a proclamation of who he is as a relational God. He's saying, I love you guys so much that if you confess to me and ask for forgiveness, I'm always going to forgive you guaranteed. Like that's not like because it's the formula where confession then automatically produces forgiveness. He's just talking about his character. He's like, my character is so strong and my love for you is so strong that if you come and tell me the things that you've done wrong that I already know, like guaranteed you're going to be received with grace, mercy and forgiveness because that's who I am. It's entirely true. And I think the interesting thing to me is most of the people I talk to, they don't find the idea, or at least most of the Christians I talk to, they don't find the idea of confessing before God scary. They find it unnecessary. Right. No, absolutely. They, I felt And that now way flipping it the other way, they don't find confessing before other people unnecessary. They just find it scary. Yeah. No, being vulnerable with other people is terrifying because... On the one hand, you can always trust God. Like God isn't going to, you know, go and blab, you know, your confession to everybody. God doesn't Mm -hmm. have a Twitter or a Facebook. Um, But when it comes to other people, we want to be vulnerable and we want to trust. But there is quite often that fear. And I've experienced that, that fear of, well, what if this person really doesn't have my back? Yeah. And and this is where I think we, we need to first dive into the biblical call, you know, we should always start with not just how do things feel and appear in life. We should start with what does the Bible say about them? Hmm. And two quick verses that are super important in this conversation. In James 5, uh, verse 16 talks about the idea of confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Hmm. Through simple confession, there is real healing power. You know, I can think of plenty of conversations I've had where I go to another person, I admit some different things that I'm doing wrong, and they don't even really say anything in response. They just kind of listen. And I talk long enough to the point where they kind of hear me lay out everything. And it's like, I knew what I needed to do. I just needed to tell someone. And, And I've been on the other end of things where somebody's come to me and they kind of outline, hey, I'm sinning in this way. I know this is wrong. And I just kind of sit there and listen And by the end of it, they're thanking me. They're like, hey, thank you for helping me through this. And I sit there and think, I didn't do anything. Like, I didn't give you advice. You knew what you needed. 
But what you needed to do was share it with somebody else because that unto itself is one of the ways that God brings healing to a life. Well, okay, can I push back on that a little bit? Sure. Okay, so here's where my thought goes with that. So if the scriptures say that there's healing in confession, can you read that verse again, James 5.16? Yeah, let me, I was quoting it from memory, so I'll pull it up so that we can actually... Because I remember you said, confess that you may be healed. Without mm-hmm. confession, there is no healing, right? So here's the verse. Okay. Um, James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So that you may be healed. Okay. So here's, I don't, I don't know. I just want to dive into this a little bit and get your thoughts on this. So I feel like when we're describing these things in the Bible and when the biblical authors are describing these things, it's not just like helpful tips for life, you know, like general knowledge that you, you know, would find in a Reader's Digest or whatever. It's, it's actually describing real things that happen in the spiritual realm. And I think the idea of just like, oh, yeah, you know, it's, you know, psychologically healing to share things, um, you know, that can be applied to non-Christians. Like we can just take that at face value. I mean, there's uh, there's apps out there. Um, I think there's actually I don't want to say the name of it because I don't really think it's the best thing for young people to be going after. But there are apps where basically you can share anonymously with the internet, you know, your deep, dark secrets, you know, so people will go on there and they'll, they'll share, you know, horrible things they've done or horrible things that have been done to them. Um, so, you know, we could say like, oh yeah, that's therapeutic for them. That's, that's healing for them to not hold on to it, to get out there and put it out anonymously. Um, but is there more to it than just that? Is there something actually happening in the spiritual realm that actually heals us on a spiritual level and not just on a psychological level? I think so. I mean, I think I think God honors the faith of his people and mm-hmm. God gives us all of these means by which we can show obedience. So I think he gives us the scriptures. And I think that as we read them, there's like the there's the more natural things that are going on. There's reading comprehension, there's paying attention, Mm. there's kind of natural fact learning that happens. All of that can be really helpful. Mm. But I do believe that on a spiritual level, there's something that goes on when you read the Bible in faith. Mm. There's something that I believe God honors in that spiritual realm, like you're talking about, that is less about the thing you're doing and more about God responding to the faith that you're displaying. So going to that, the idea of that online app that, yeah, you can just confess something, but you're not doing it because you believe confession before God is how you're healed. You're doing it because your conscience feels bad Hmm, and you want to feel better. It's almost like you're doing, you're doing confession selfishly rather than doing it for the purpose of abandoning yourself so that you can get more of God. I've seen that done before where people will confess something bad they've done to somebody with no remorse or no desire to make it right. It's like, oh, I'm just glad I got that off my chest. You mm-hmm. know, oh, it just it feels good to tell somebody. But then, you know, you're going to just keep on doing it, you know. So that's not real healing. 
that's just feeling temporarily better. I don't know the the place that I'm just as I'm thinking through and I'm you know I'm verbally processing right now where my mind is on this because I've there's so many verses in the Bible that I've never thought deeply about and this is one. So um, it's saying confess to the body of Christ, right? Like confess to others, right? Mm-hmm. I think of Christ and I think of the healing that came from Him, right? We know from reading the Gospels, he's healing people, not just of their sicknesses, he's healing them of the spiritual sickness, right? The sickness of the soul. That's what he's going around doing. The church is the body of Christ, right? Like you and I are the body of Christ. So I think it stands to reason possibly that what the scriptures could be saying here is, you know, let's say you and I are small group leaders and we're in a small group and someone in our group comes and confesses. They're not just telling only humans, it's the body of Christ. And so for us as a part of the body, when someone comes and confesses, um, we're then able to help in the healing and be the hands and feet um, of Jesus in helping that person with their struggle. And that's where the healing comes from. It's through the confession and then the follow-up, the accountability that comes afterwards is where the healing happens. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. No, <laughs> I, you- I'm willing to go with you. And and even you, you threw out a phrase a little bit earlier that is a phrase people feel a little squeamish about. The idea of God waits for us to allow him yeah. to do his work. Right. And it's something where like people will automatically be like, well, God doesn't need our permission and like God doesn't need us to let him in. Like he does what he wants. Right. I don't believe that. Yeah. I believe he needs our permission. I believe that's, that's the system he set up. Like yes. it's not that we're That's more powerful than say. him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like God was like, he created humans and he's like, oh, what have I done? <laughs> they're, they're, <laughs> they're so powerful. They're more powerful what? than I possibly imagined. Yeah. Yeah. It, this is what he wanted from <laughs> right. the beginning. But I feel no weirdness about saying, yeah, God actually does need you to let him into these different things. Right. And, and I think that. It, it, it even can happen continually for a believer as life goes on where you can let him into the fact that you're a sinner, but not let him into a specific sin that you're dealing with. Right. And I think that's yeah. something where this verse really comes into play where, yeah, you've confessed to the Lord that you're a sinner and you've been saved. And I, I believe that I'll go with that. I'm, I'm there for you if that's where you're at. But then to think, now I need to let him into the specific things that are going on, because we both know stories of people who have been believers for years, but they hide some element of their life and everything is just chaos. Yeah. And even, you know, pastors with big platforms and everything seemed like it was going great. And then eventually everything explodes because there was something they were holding on to and they never confessed it to anyone and they never got help. Yeah, it, it's huge. And it cuts away something that God wants. And that's the, the last verse that I want to bring up in Galatians, uh, the very beginning of chapter six. Uh, I'll read the, the first two verses says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Yeah. So this verse is different than the other ones because it doesn't have the word confession in it, but rather, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to me, it shows the, the posture that God wants. I hate using that phrase. 
Um, like we, posture? We, I really do. I don't know why. It feels Weird. like Christianese to me of like, we want to be in a posture of worship. And I'm like, yeah, no one, I've never heard anyone say that anywhere else, you know, like in a business meeting, like we want to be in a posture of earning. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So it, it talks about the way that the church should naturally function. Right. We should be a group of people who are on the lookout for the faults and burdens of one another, not so that we can point them out and say, ha ha, Jimmy's sinning again, but rather that would be a really mean church. If that's happening in your church, find somewhere else. But the natural way the church should work is we're on the lookout for sins and for burdens so that we can all be helpful in restoring and in healing. Okay, can I can I ask a question about this? Sure. Okay. So, oh man, I think that in my experience, um, you know, when I was a youth pastor, it was not hard for me to see things in the kids where they were struggling, you know, um, that's your role, you know, as a shepherd, you're, you're looking, um, for the good in your students in your kids, you're looking for the, the potential to draw out, but then you're also looking out for sin, not so you can say you horrible kid, get out of my youth group, but it's, you know, it's, you're looking for that disease. You, you recognize that sin disease is in you and it's in everyone else. And so when we see it in one another, we need to call it out because it's destructive. Um, so as a youth pastor, I mean, it wasn't hard. I mean, it was at times cause it caused drama, but it wasn't super hard to, to sit a, uh, set a kid aside and say, Hey, let's talk, buddy. But as an adult, um, with other adults, you know, that is a struggle for me. And I feel like for a lot of people listening, where if you're a Christian and let's say you're a part of a community group or a friend circle and you see your friend doing something that is not right with either, you know, the way they treat their spouse or their family members or their friends or maybe a way that they're sinning and, you know, they're they're not even realizing that they're sinning or acknowledging. Um, it's just hard to bring that up. Like, it's scary to bring that up because I don't know, but I feel like with our current culture being the way it is where people are just like, yeah, this is me. Deal with it. Um, to actually bring those things up can be scary because the fear is, oh, this person is going to write me off and be like, oh, what the heck? Like, who are you to judge me? You know, even if you come at them saying like, hey, I'm telling you this because I love you. I don't know. What do you what do you think? I think that that can definitely happen. And that to me is why this conversation of confession is so important. Because if everyone in the church was thinking, when when brokenness is discovered in my life, the path forward is admitting it, working with other believers to pray through it, and asking God for new grace to be able to conquer it. Mm. Like, if we all had that mentality, then the fear that you're discussing wouldn't exist. We, yeah. We'd be fine. We would all be in the same attitude of, yeah, we... Right want to just move past sin together. So yeah, what's what's the big deal if it comes up? It's not about calling any one person out. It, and that's, I think, why looking back to our title, The Power of Confession in Community, mm. this doesn't work if it's a one-way street. Hmm. Okay. This can't work if it's just, I am the leader. 
therefore I'm going to help you find your sin and we're going to fix you. I think it rather has to be we are all in this together. We are all willing to confess brokenness and we are all looking to what we see in Scripture that when sin is in our lives, hiding it ruins us. Confessing it opens up opportunities for growth and healing and grace and community is necessary for real restoration to happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's almost a disservice to another Christian if you see those things to not bring them up because you're just allowing them to continue in their sin. Mm-hmm. Like you're seeing somebody who's poisoned and you're refusing to point them towards the cure. I know for me personally, I have a list of people where I think these are the people I respect the most in my life. And more often than not, the people on that list are the people who have confronted me about my sin. Absolutely. I I can make that same list. And I love that image you're bringing up of I will choose not to tell someone that they're doing something that's poisoned them because I'll feel a little weird for a minute. Ah, oh, yeah. Like that's but such I hate a terrible, feeling weird. I, look, I hate I, it. Oh, I agree. Yeah. No one enjoys feeling weird. That's why we call it feeling weird. Mm. But that doesn't mean that my feelings of like, imagine if you went to a doctor and they found like a tumor in you and they were like, ah, that's going to be an uncomfortable conversation. Like (laughs) I'll just, I'll let it go. And then a couple of years later you go to a different doctor and they're like, whoa, this disease has been growing in you and hurting you in ways that you may not have imagined for a couple of years. Like you wouldn't think of that doctor and be like, well, he just didn't want to feel weird. Like I get it. Like, No, you'd be super mad at that guy, rightfully so, because they should have done their job. Let me ask, let me ask you this. Um, Have you, and we don't have to get into specifics, but like, have you ever done that in an adult friendship situation? Either your friend or, you know, you and your wife, uh, friends that you guys have, somebody in your community group, like not students, like have you personally ever confronted someone about sin? Yes. In that confrontation, have you ever had the situation go south where they're like, dude, what the heck? Like, you're wrong. I don't have that sin. How dare you? Like, have you dealt with that? Um, Because I, I think some people listening might have dealt with that. So I, I just want to get that perspective in there. Yeah, I I haven't seen that as much as I've seen. So so I, I don't think that's as common of a situation as, as people would think. I think that does happen. And look, if they are unwilling to see sin in their own life. Like first ask yourself, like, am I right in what I'm seeing? And if you are, it'll become apparent very quickly. That's Um, what I was going to ask you too, is when you go into those conversations, do you go in kind of guns blazing where it's like, I'm right. And this person, like the goal is to get them weeping in confession. (laughs) Or do you go in with a sense of humility where it's like, I'm convicted about this, about this person, but I also think I could be wrong. And if I am wrong, I want them to to show me that I'm wrong. I think we should always go in with the benefit of the doubt, Mm -hmm. but you shouldn't let the benefit of the doubt start rewriting the facts. Mm -hmm. There are times when a person's sin is clear. You heard them say it. You watched them do something. Punch that guy. Exactly. Like there's no getting around the fact that that happened. So that actually makes it easier to bring it up because then it's like there's clearly established facts that we're all working with. 
when it comes to something where you're trying to discern heart intention, right. I think you should totally come humbly. Like, like hey, I'm not totally right. sure this is what you meant by this. I'm not totally sure if this is what you were going for, but this is the way that it came across. Like maybe you perceive someone as prideful, but in actuality, they just have terrible social skills. And yeah, that's a real possibility. <laughs> which happens. Um, you know, I actually did have this happen once. Um, youth group situation um, confronted some people about some things, lots of denial, and it was things that were clear, um, but it was just like, no, like, you're wrong, these other people are wrong, and um, it led to just them leaving the church. And it was really sad for me because my intentions were not to bust anyone or make anyone feel bad. It was righteousness. It was restoration. You know, it was trying to bring a couple people who were fighting together um, and to get forgiveness to be on the table. But uh, it ended up with just a couple people just being like, uh, whatever, I don't want to, I don't want to have to face this or deal with it. So I'm just going to leave. And that's really, really hard. And things like that are going to happen. And the thing that's really important to remember is you can't want restoration more than the person who needs to be restored. Mm. If, if that's the case, it's, it's not going to work. You know, if, if I'm the one who's in the wrong, the only way that change will come in our social circle is if I am willing to say I was wrong and I need to be made right. No yeah. one can want that for me to the point where it'll bring about change. I have to be the one that's right. able to recognize that. And sometimes people just are unable or unwilling to recognize things in their own life. That doesn't mean you're wrong for bringing it up. It just reveals the spiritual state they're in. Hmm. Absolutely. So in wrapping up and in kind of bringing a lot of these things together, just to give us a full recap, remind us where we've been. Confession is this thing that gets talked about in really strange ways by culture, either through formal church images or through here's who I am, everybody deal with it, ways that biblical confession can help us. The idea of admitting we're wrong so that mm. we can allow God's healing into yeah. our lives. Three things that I think it can really help us do. The first, confession helps you keep living the gospel. Mm. Every time you confess, you're saying, Lord, I know I'm still broken, but I know you're still good enough to save me. That's the thing. Confession yeah. isn't about the brokenness. It's about the healing. Like it's not just the door, but it's it's this continual thing that's happening, right? Absolutely. Okay. I think the second thing confession does for us, and this is a big one that we've been touching on, but we need to just own it. It pushes back on an image-obsessed culture. Hmm. We all want the highlight reel. We all want the perfect feed. We all want to appear like we have everything together. But everyone who's putting that highlight reel out there knows it's not true. Yeah. Yeah, no, honestly, I have so much more respect and I'm so much more drawn to people who are honest about their flaws and failures, not people who are just always down on themselves, but but people who are honest about their struggles, because I know I have struggles, 
And when I see people who are honest, it makes me think like this person I respect, someone who just is always trying to pretend like everything's great and everything's okay and their image is perfect. I don't ever believe that for one minute. Absolutely. And and that's not what God wants for us. And and we need yeah. to recognize the pressure in a now much more image-based culture. We need to recognize the pressure that would draw us away from confession and fight against it and mm. say, sure, this is what my culture is telling me, but I need to live by what my Bible is telling me. Right. And that mm. brings us, I think, to this third point. Confession makes the growing process in Jesus much more practical. Mm. It's one yeah. thing to just say, oh, I want to grow in my walk with God. That's a great thing. Confession shows you the places you need to grow. Right. By getting into the habit of regularly confessing our sin, either before God or before other people, we create these markers that we're able to see of, oh yeah, these are the things that were big enough in my life that I felt like God and other people needed to know about these are now the weaknesses I need to try to start working through. And these are the things I need to ask God to give me the grace to be able to work through. Right. And it gives us goals to move forward in the same way that you can have symptoms, but not really know what the disease is or how to treat it. And then once you go to the doctor, the doctor gives you goals. He says, you're going to take this medicine this many times a day. You're going to do these exercises. This is what you need to do to progress. If we don't confess to the Lord and come to him with our sin, and then if we don't come to our community, Community with what we're struggling with, oftentimes we're not going to really have targets to shoot for. We're just going to be winging, like <clears throat> we're just we're just going to be winging it. Ugh, can't talk. <laughs> we're just going to be kind of winging it, trying to figure it out on our own, which is never good because the heart is deceitful. Absolutely. And if the idea is I'm saved, therefore I've done all the growing I need to do in life, and then one day I'll be made perfect, it's denying the ability that God has to make you more perfect today than you were yesterday. Mm. So, so like the final thing I'll ask you is with the fear of with confession saying, you know, if I do this, will people see me the same? Will, will people make me feel broken? Will our relationships stay the same? What would you say to people who are just listening to this and they think I want to confess, I've got something on my heart, something on my chest, something I'm struggling with but I just am so afraid of bringing it to others. What would you what would you say? I would just say the fear is holding you back from something way better. So mm. will people make you feel broken? Maybe, but they should. Confession is about how you're broken. Mm. Will the relationship stay the same? I've found no, it'll get deeper. It'll yeah. get more meaningful. It'll get more powerful. And so then will people see you the same? I think like we're talking about, we're more confident and more settled in our relationships with people who are willing to confess brokenness. Yeah. Like confession is a gateway to deeper relationship with God and deeper relationship with God's people. That little bit of fear that or even that lot of bit of fear. I don't want to minimize the fear that can come with it. It's just holding you back from something that's going to be amazing for you. Yeah, I'm a part of a community group at my church, and I can honestly say I've had some people confess gnarly things to the whole group, and my opinion of them has only gotten better every time. That I, the weak, the weak, yeah, the weakness is something where. I see it and I think that's a person who's submitting to Jesus and I want to back them up 100% every time. I completely agree. And so our 
hope and prayer in this discussion is not that it makes you think you're the the dirty or broken one that you think, well, like I'm listening to it and I know I need to confess stuff, but I'm sure no one else listening to this does. <laughs> I hope this pulls you out of the loneliness that lack of confession can begin yeah. to create and helps you dive deeper into the community that God wants for his people, a community where confession is welcome, where brokenness is exposed so that it can also be a community where healing is felt and healing is brought into broken, messed up situations. Man, what a good episode. I loved talking with Brian. He's, he's amazing. He's such a good co-host and a good friend. This confession episode was totally his idea, and I'm really, really glad we did it. Next up on the show, we have Professor Gary Brashears from Western Seminary and The Bible Project. Gary is a theological giant and someone that a lot of us here at Good Lion look up to, so we're really excited to have him on the show. We're bringing Gary on the next episode to discuss what we've called the mechanics of salvation, the nuts and bolts of salvation. Basically, we're going to be asking him questions about salvation, questions like what happens in the spiritual and physical realm when someone's saved? How does salvation happen? We've got seriously so many salvation questions and Gary totally answers them all like a champ. You don't want to miss that episode. It's really, really good. If you like what we do, leave us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Seriously, every review helps us be found. And it means the world to us to know that people are listening and that what we're doing is actually helping people. So seriously, if you have the time, just go on iTunes, go on Apple Podcasts, and just leave us a quick review. We would appreciate it so much. For updates on the show, check out our Instagram or our website. Both are goodlion.io. The website is www.goodlion.io, and the Instagram is at goodlion.io. Check them out. There you can see new episodes, follow up with what we're doing, and follow up with not just this show, but all of the different shows across the Good Lion Podcast Network. Our humble little show is produced by myself, Aaron Salvato, and Brian Higgins. We are a ministry of the Calvary Global Network, or CGN for short. If you like what we do and you want to support us, you can do so two different ways. One, on our website, goodlion.io slash support. The church that I'm from, Calvary Chapel Vista, graciously collects our donations for us and sends them to me and Brian. So if you want to support us that way, you can make a tax-exempt donation of any type through our website. Even if it's just $5, we appreciate it. It helps. We put it towards things like equipment, better microphones, we're trying to save up to hire another editor so we can make even more content. And we put it towards not just our own show, but the larger efforts of the Good Lion Podcast Network. We also have a new way that you can support us through Patreon. So many people have been telling us we need to get a Patreon account, so we went ahead and did it. You can check it out at patreon.com slash goodlionpod. Check it out. There's different options of ways you can support us and some different bonuses that we throw in for our supporters on Patreon. So yeah, check it out. It's pretty cool. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, this is Aaron Salvato with the Good Line Podcast, signing off. Mm-hmm.